0: Loyalty, trustworthy, and fatherhood.
1: The Brave Files are supported by Julian Desjardins, a certified strategist for small business owners. If you've already made that brave decision to start your own business, it's time to stop trying to do it all alone. Check out our show notes for more information or visit juliandejardin.com.
0: You are listening to The Brave Files, real stories from people living courageously. You can listen to the show anywhere you enjoy podcasts, and we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference, and we appreciate it. Now, here's your host, Heather Vickery.
1: Welcome to The Brave Files, everyone. Today, I welcome Omar Yamini to the show. He is truly one of the kindest men I know. His big giant smile warms the room, and most of the time when I see him, he has several adoring toddlers hanging off of his very long arms. You would never know that Omar spent 15 years in prison and has a murder conviction. Since getting out of prison in 2011, Omar wrote a book called What's Wrong with You. He started a nonprofit organization that helps keep kids out of the prison system. He's also successfully and beautifully restarted his life, graduated from college, he's working on his master's degree, and he started a beautiful family. He really, truly has three of the most adorable little girls I know, my four excluded, of course. Um, I'm really honored to have you here. Omar, thank you so much for being here with us.
0: Thank you, thank you very much for the invitation. That's a lot of girls, Heather. That's That's, a lot of girls. That's seven, seven little girls
1: between (laughs) us. Well, and I remember you telling me once a couple of years ago, um, that your you have all girls except one boy, but now two, right? Um, two nephews now. Two, is that correct? Two, two nephews and a whole bunch of girls running around. And we still
0: outnumbered. There's a bunch of them,
1: <laughs> but it's, it's awesome. a beautiful
0: thing. Yes, it is.
1: It's so I I know you, Omar, because our kids go to the same daycare, and they have for a long time. Our older girls went to the same daycare, and now our youngest girls go. And um, I have to tell you, it was years before I knew your background. And I was so shocked just because you are such a gentle, kind soul. And it was, um, it was powerful for me to shift my perspective on what I might have expected from somebody who spent 15 years in prison.
0: It destroys stereotypes, definitely.
1: You do. Most definitely. And I love that. And I'm so grateful that that you do that. I love, I love what you do. And I, I adore you. So let's just get this out of the way right now because i think this is important before we go any further you did not kill anyone is that correct
0: yes that is, that is correct
1: right so your conviction was based on something that's called the theory of accountability and i'd love to have you explain what that is
0: so you yes the theory of accountability is a charge is a is a charge on our books in the state of illinois and in places uh, other states have similar similar uh, similar charges. And it is, and in an essence, and i just break it down like this when I'm speaking to young people and parents as well, it's how you grab a group of people for what one person did. So, for example, when I am go to schools and when I'm talking to our young people, I want them to understand that when you pull up and somebody pulls up in a car and let's say you and your buddies on Friday night, you're going out, hanging out. The driver runs in the store, he robs this place, hops back out in the car and pulls off. When the police catch that car and pulls them over, they can charge everybody in that car for what the driver did. It's called theory of accountability. We have a theory that you may have had knowledge that this was going to happen. And unfortunately, there are thousands of of Black men, African-American and Latino men in prison for a crime they did not actually commit.
1: And is there any way, I mean, is there a defense against, I really didn't know this person was gonna do that and your story is a great example and I'm gonna have you tell it in a minute, but you had no no knowledge, no involvement in- It's it's the darndest thing. It's, It's the darndest thing on the
0: books. If you're charged with theory of accountability, if you're charged with a crime that you didn't actually commit, Like in my case, you are at the mercy of maybe a witness or someone who has been victimized to come forth and say you had nothing to do with it. That's difficult when somebody has been hurt. When your friend, a buddy of yours, may have been guilty and come into a store or disrupted a family's peace, they are upset with you. They may Mm -hmm. not say uh, you didn't have nothing to do with it. Theory of accountability is, is so devastating a charge. You are actually better off being charged with the actual crime itself because at least you have to have evidence. Right. You know what I mean? You have to at least have some evidence or burden of proof. You can defend yourself with no evidence. My charge, they say, we're not actually charging you with the crime itself. And this is called clause B. First degree murder says you have to have, you intend to kill. That's one crime. But they didn't give me that. They said, give me a different clause that said, you know, you didn't have anything to do with the crime. You didn't kill nobody but you knew this could have happened. That is devastating to prove when somebody has been hurt and you need people, witnesses to come forward and vindicate you. I
1: can't even, I can't even fathom this is a thing. I, I mean, I understand the concept of aiding and abetting if there's proof of that, but this is mind boggling. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, because it takes away the language. Aiding, abetting means a, uh, prosecutors have to prove that you aided and abetted in the commission of a crime. Theory of accountability is, is saying something different. It's saying you knew that this could have happened.
1: Is this something that anybody is working to change in this state or other states, like to get rid of this absolutely ridiculous charge?
0: Well, there, there are many people who uh, fight these cases, uh, fight these charges. And uh, just when you, you can find that in, in different uh, advocacy groups uh, about unjust, unfair laws, especially those ones that are extremely targeted towards African-American and Latino men. Yes, they are those groups out there, but the voice is not loud enough. Oof,
1: um, we need to make vo- that
0: voice loud. It, it, this it, is it, the voice is not, it, 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 that law has destroyed, that along with, in my opinion, the Clinton Crime Bill of the 1990s, has boosted mass incarceration in the state of Illinois um, to the levels that we are dealing with right now.
1: Well, you talk about this a lot in your book, and I, and I, wanna, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. I, wanna, I want you to tell your story. I've seen the documentary 13, and it was incredibly eye-opening for me. And I feel like your book and your story really correlates well with that. So let's go back. And can you tell me a little bit about what happened?
0: Well, I have to start from the beginning because the uh, foundation has to be laid. I'm raised in a two-parent household. African American family, uh, God-fearing family who valued education. Which I just um, want to
1: chime in um, is important. the The fact that you continuously tell everybody, and I think it's it's really important information, that you were raised in a two-parent family. In particularly in the Black community, um, that's not very common.
0: Well, not as it used to be. No, Absolutely. not not, in, be. not not in my time. Right. My, okay. Before it, it, it was getting away. Yeah, I'm a '70s baby. Me too. And, and uh, <laughs> so, it it didn't hit as hard as it did in the night, the, the, the levels that we know now. So gotcha. it was still it was still pretty common. Okay. At at, at that time. Okay. Uh, however, um, it was pulling, and I had the type of parents who were engaged with my siblings uh, in in our activities. Uh, it's there's six of us, three boys, three girls, and. I grew up with no juvenile uh, 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 problems, no delinquencies, no no arrests, no uh, none of that whole thing young people uh, find themselves into. We were athletes and sports and 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 just moving around about. And my parents knew my friends because our house was kind of a hangout at times, especially mm-hmm. when we hit uh, high school. And uh, I went to some of my good friends, division tier one talent going on full ride. So I was surrounded by a bunch of uh, young guys, athletes who were preparing for their futures. And the big problem f- started with me is senior year, high school, second semester, senior year. I tried the wrong English teacher. I needed a half a credit to graduate.
1: So how, what and, does that mean? How did you try? When
0: I, when I say, oh, that I, teacher. when I tried that teacher, I didn't do much homework. He told me I had senioritis. Yeah, you did. I've had, did. I've, I've had that yeah.
1: before. But. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, your listeners know what senioritis is. So he said, yeah, I mean, you got senioritis. You didn't do nothing in here all semester. You think I'm just going to let you pass because you a senior. And you can just walk out of here. And I did not graduate. Needing a half English credit, Heather. Oh,
1: God. You hear me?
0: That's devastating. It's very devastating. How it, pissed it,
1: were your parents? Not just pissed,
0: but like nobody's seen this kind of coming. And right. even the schools, this is some of the argument that you have today with schools. And they say, wait a minute, here you have young people this close to the finish line. How aren't you monitoring them and making sure they get through? You
1: right. know, why aren't you a, giving
0: them a certain assignments or, yeah. call, or, or calling that young person to that office and say, look, now this is what's happening. This yeah. is where. So <clears throat> I get that. And I'm glad they do that. Now I'm glad this many school districts monitor, uh, Seniors who are on their way, and and, and, and give them uh, extra activities or, or projects to do uh, to help them get that little yeah. bit of credit that they need. But yeah. any but what happened? But that's what that was the story. I did not graduate, needing a half an English credit. And when my friends went off to college, uh, job, for, uh some went to uh, the armed services, there I was in that dangerous no man's land, that spot where young people who have been Cared for their entire lives, are now. No one has to hold your hand anymore.
1: Right.
0: High after high school, nobody's holding your hand anymore.
1: Were you still living at home?
0: I was still at home. Okay, and and so everybody went off. Everybody went off, and there I was. So I did what so many people, young people, do at that at that vulnerable time. I found me some new friends. I did uh, because all everybody who who I knew and my parents knew they were moving on, and. I I didn't have a plan because I had no I wasn't preparing and I started ripping and running and one day long story short I'm with a new friend of mine and he gets into an argument and he shoots and kills somebody and I got charged with that crime. I and they have chills
1: up and down my my body. You hardly knew this person. Not that oh that-
0: I, I, well uh, I had been ripping and running for about a year. Okay. But it still was, you know, it still was more of a, 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 a recent, it wasn't one of the, you know, all through high school type of friends that, sure. that I mostly had. Sure. Most of my friends were the ones that I had from, from, from freshman year to senior year in high school at that time.
1: So this guy killed somebody for no reason, really. He got mad at him. Just a simple argument. Yeah. Young people. Yeah. And you, what, the police come right away? Do you get arrested right then? What uh, happened?
0: No, no, no. We fled the scene. What makes my case, I won't say different, is when the, and I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully here. I can see uh, that. When, when, when it all went down, I tried to stop it from happening. When he pulled out the gun, I calmed him down. And then he lowered that weapon. And then when the weapon was lowered, that's when I walked off across the street. I was gone. I was like, Lord have mercy, thank you for not shooting this man. As I'm across the street, they get back into it again. I stopped the initial action from even happening. This did not have to happen.
1: Oh my God.
0: And when I walked away after the guy I was with Lord the gun is when everything went south from there.
1: How is that not something that anybody tells anybody who cares and can stop the onslaught of torture that, that you then went through?
0: Well, it be, the, our criminal justice system, uh, as it targets African American males, Heather is—it is it, it, everything that you're hearing about in the media and re- is real. This is not make believe. I know. We, you know, this is—we are not making this stuff up. I had witnesses in my case threatened by prosecutors because a lot of some of the people who were out there were a lot of drug users and just ripping and running the street, oh, and and so they were the kind of witnesses for prosecutors that all you had to do is threaten them with something and they would testify against you. And, uh, well, the case is, is a different issue. I, I, I don't want to dive too deep into the details of the actual case right. that that is how it all allowed me, put me in a position. That's what I'll say. That is what put me in a position for the police to charge me with theory of accountability because I was there.
1: Yeah, you were there. Wrong place, wrong time, for sure. I, I, I'm trying to find some words. I have a whole list of, of things that I want to talk to you about. And I'm the parent in me is devastated as somebody who cannot identify. And I'll just call that, this would not be the first time on this show that I've called out my knowing white privilege, right? Like I know, I can tell you, I know, I know that this is real, but I can't. How can you,
0: you know? And, you know, how can you? That's just the the reality of it.
1: That's why I think talking to you, reading your book, getting you into the schools is so important because it's so easy to stick our head in the sand and not know how horrific this is and how unjust it is and traumatizing to us as a nation it is. I mean, your book is so good and it is something that, Every child should read. I've already talked to my 13 year old and she's a cute little white girl. Right. I was like, you need to read this book. I'm not even playing around. Like you need to know that this happens in our country. Everybody should read your book. Go read the book right now. We'll find it and read it. We're going to tell you how to get it. Okay. So long story short, you get arrested. What happens?
0: I get arrested. I get charged. And, uh, I sit in County Jail, Cook County Jail, 26 in California, for a little bit over three years, just fighting the case, Alan. Oh my God. Just fighting the case, sitting in Cook County Jail from I was 20 when I left. How was I? It might have been 23. I came in at 20. I left at around 23.
1: And in the book, you describe this place as an animal shelter.
0: Yes. That is the title, chapter one. It all begins at the animal shelter. At that time, 1996 the county jail was a mess. When I say every gang, I don't know how many gangs we had in the city of Chicago, but they all were there. And we had to find a way to coexist amongst each other. The county jail is is actually a more volatile place than the than the penitentiary.
1: Yeah. That I mean I I I learned that from your book. I certainly wouldn't ever have known that. So you get sentenced to thirty years in prison for being there, but you only had to serve only—I say only—fifteen years, half of it. Mm-hmm.
0: And that was—and—and and, and that's interesting. That's his own little interesting piece because Heather, when when I was arrested in was it September, I was arrested just a few months before the law change in Illinois.
1: Oh, Jesus!
0: Okay, I, I was arrested when. If for a a murder or a violent crime, you had to do half the time, you were allowed to do half the time that a judge sentenced you to. Okay, now, two months after I was arrested, the law changed, and murders have to do 100%. You have to do all the time a judge gives you. If a judge gives you 300 years, you're doing 300 years.
1: Wow, wow, wow. So in all of this horribleness, somehow, one thing went right.
0: I I (laughs) just, no, I understand. No, no, you, you, yes, you are absolutely right, because to be honest with you, it, our criminal justice system, in many ways, and how it is, is utilized, especially against African-Americans, not only is it, is it vicious, but it's, it's absurd. And some, sometimes people, is, you have to laugh it off, because it's kind of difficult to wrap your head around. It's, it's difficult to wrap so your head
1: difficult. It's that-
0: difficult. Heather, that is the passion of my work, yeah, because it is crazy. difficult for adults, to wrap their minds around being charged with a crime that some of your friends or the people you with committed. And, 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 and there was no planning process with you and them on committing that crime. That's theory right. of accountability. So that's difficult for adults to wrap their mind around, let alone children. So I, my, my task is to use this book and these characters and the type of behaviors that they have to put it in their mind, to impress upon their minds the importance of keeping good company. Because theory of accountability, when I tell young people that you can be charged for that, they all reject it. And I have to show them and prove to them, listen, this is why I was in prison. You are not. I'm not a teacher talking to you, something that I read in the book or it happened right. to someone else. You are looking and speaking to a credible witness. I am taking you through my story and telling you how I was charged with a crime that doesn't even register in your young 15, 16, 17-year-old mind.
1: And so these laws are today, in 2018, theory of accountability is still something that people are charged with, and you have to serve the number of years the judge hands down. Is that correct?
0: Yes. Violent crimes are 85%, meaning you have to do 85% of what a judge sentences you to. You get... 80, if a judge gives you a hundred years, you have to do eighty five percent of that right, hundred years. Right, right. Uh, for murders, for, for murders, it's one hundred percent.
1: And even if it's theory of accountability, and you even, did not do it,
0: even for theory of accountability, you have people in prison, Heather.
1: It's extraordinary
0: for doing serving fifty and sixty and seventy years under these charges, and they have never pulled a trigger.
1: I'm speechless.
0: Or, or not, 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 not only have they never pulled a trigger, but they didn't even orchestrate, they're not the masterminds behind uh, the, the crime. Right.
1: right. I mean, I, you know, listen, if if there is aiding and abetting, which we've identified is not the same thing, um, there should be punishment, right? I, I don't, but somebody like you, it's just, it's shocking and devastating. Obviously, far more devastating to you and your family. But for me to hear that, I just I can't imagine. So you served- 15 awful, brutal years and, and people read the book, read the book, really, like I couldn't put it down. Uh, it's important to know this is a really important story. At what point in those 15 years do you decide you are not going to turn into most of the people you're surrounded with? You're not going to let this break you and you're not going to let it define you.
0: You know, that was the fight. That was the fight from from, from the beginning. and But I, I do remember I had a particular time, a turning point. I did not want the penitentiary to influence me. I, my fight was to, as much as I can, I know I'm here, I know there's going to be some reshaping, but I, I do not want this place to influence me. I need to keep that influence as minimum as possible. And uh, I remember I had a turning point in my life, and, and I just was down on my knees praying. I want to say I was in Mount Sterling, segregation. You got to read the book.
1: Segregation, uh, which is basically. Oh, you got to read. Mary-ish. You, yeah, you
0: have to read the book. Yes. Yeah. And I, it was a point, that was the point in my life when, and I was still young. I may have been in my, my mid 20s, 25, 26, 27, in there. And I was just like, done. I, I know. I, I cannot have any of this. I want no parts so I had to fight, I had to fight it. And that did that Stay insane by reading and and, and keeping good company with people who, who had the most sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You, one thing that I picked up from your book and that I, I pick up from, from you each day when I see you is you have this really magical ability to find goodness in people. Oh, well, thank you. Did you know that? Like you talk about it, right. And you, and you said this person was Convicted of this heinous crime, but he wasn't really a bad person. Like, how how is that? Because it's real. Yeah,
0: you know it's real, and 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 it actually motivates me to do what I do with the work. So young people who have challenging behaviors, or and let's just call it that, challenging behavior Some of them are are delinquent because it did. Some of them are delinquent, Heather. Yeah, and and but their children and yeah. everything that they're doing in their lives at this age. We're talking adolescents here. We're talking a 12, 13, 14 year old. Those are the, the, the ages that I work with in middle school and, and high school. But um, we're dealing with a, some, a person who has been on earth 13 years.
1: Less time and, than you were in prison. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Just breathing 13 years. They don't know nothing but what they learned under their parents or, or guardian's roof. Nothing in their, Nothing is their fault. However, they have some of these behaviors, and because they're still young, we can reach right into those young people mm-hmm. and find their goodness in them. That's still in there because they're too young for it to be gone. They so- don't have the burden. They have some of them have been burdened by by some tragedies, but we can still reach to those young people and 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 bring that goodness out of them.
1: So, at what point was it? While you were in prison, or after you got released uh, in? 2011 did you say i i have a mission i have to write a book i have to tell the story i have to try and save these kids
0: well if you read the book you can tell i'm just kind of on mission in prison
1: yeah i mean i picked that up
0: yeah that's the answer i was actually yeah.
1: on, i didn't know how
0: now yeah. I, I would say that i knew what i wanted to do right i didn't know how i was going to do it so I, I basically do you know what i do Gavin? I know I what out you do, here,
1: but why don't you tell everybody else? The work
0: I do I do out here what I did in prison. That's what I do. I, I would, We would keep some of those younger guys with us, working out, hanging out, having intelligent conversations. We're not talking about other people's money. We're not talking about them women and, 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 and disrespecting them. No, you can go hang out with those guys and do all that. It's enough of them in this prison for you to find any group and have those kind of conversations with. We're doing something else over here. We're preparing for our futures. We, we Some of us have lived uh, lives that led us here, and we'd be damned if we are going to go home in that same condition. So,
1: You go yes. into the schools. You have a presentation, um, a pretty in-your-face shocking one. you want to explain what you set up and, and what you teach these kids? No, go ahead. You tell it. I'm not going to tell your story, but I know you have, you guys, there's video on our show notes. You have to check it out. But Omar, you have a a prison cell that you take and you set up and it has all the things that you had, which isn't much in your prison cell. And how, how large is this prison cell?
0: Well, this cell that I uh, use in my presentation is a 10 by 10. I use the 10 by 10 because when I was in Menard, maximum security prison uh, in the West cell house. Uh, that was a large cell and people could move around a bit, but those cells are smaller than that. Okay. I've been in cells where I could touch the walls from fingertip to fingertip.
1: Right. But, and you're a big man, but that's still a really small room. Yeah.
0: And so the purpose of that prison cell is to give our young people, our students a visual of the conditions that produces that subhuman culture. That is just one day released home to the families, to the streets, to the communities. Right. People and
1: expected to just re-entry. And expected and no to
0: contribute
1: yeah, Holy to shit. a
0: world that didn't exist with no education, no work skills, no work ethic, no social skills, no, no communication skills. And men have absolutely no idea how to interact with women and children. We take that. We take people, we put them in the cage that, you know, where we live in, in this township we live in, people walk, people have spaces for their dogs bigger than the the prison cell. These prison cells are bathroom sized living spaces. I want your listeners to have that image in their mind. Think of your bathroom in your home, clear it out, take everything out of there and put a bunk bed in there. And for you and another person, matter of fact, take everything out except the toilet. Leave the sink, leave the toilet, put some bunk, take the tub out of there and put a bunk bed in there. And you and two people are going to survive in, in, in those close confines with that toilet in there. So in a prison right. cell, the, the, the toilet is also your bedroom. And you are literally two feet away from the toilet every time your cellmate, your roommate, I'm not going to call him your your cellmate, because that's right. what it is. Yeah, Your celly is the term, the language we use, your sally is literally two feet away from you every time they have to use that bathroom.
1: It's vile. It's vile. It, it does not matter
0: how much time you spend in prison. You cannot prepare for that. You, you cannot adjust to being two feet away from somebody using that toilet uh, every time they have to go.
1: I believe you. I, I believe you. You've been listening to Omar Yamini's episode, The Theory of Accountability. Omar's episode was too important, too good, and too powerful to cut out a single second of it. I had to make it a two part episode. So be sure to tune in to part two so that you don't miss any of Omar's extraordinary story.